And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome in. It is the Crawford Talks, the latest episode of the Astros podcast here brought to you by the Athletic. He's Jay Kaplan. I'm Mike Meltzer. Jake, this will be our final regular, uh, regularly scheduled episode of uh, 2020. We're still going to do episodes when things break over the course of uh, the offseason, whether guys leave or guys sign or re-sign, but this will be the last of the regularly scheduled like Monday and Thursday releases for 2020. Yeah, I don't know. When's the last time we actually did a, a Monday? It seems like we've been doing Saturdays and Sundays, and we've been a little all over the place because of the postseason schedule. But uh, yeah, this yeah, it's been it's been kind of a crazy like <laughs> last three weeks, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's been fun to kind of read and react more in real time to this stuff. But uh, yeah, how are you? It's been uh, for me personally, it's been weird to kind of adjust to not having a game every night to cover. And um, yes. Yeah, like going back, like quickly going from the daily postseason mode to offseason mode is is a little weird. But I feel like for baseball writers, especially compared to, well, the NBA has a big uh, offseason in a typical calendar. The NFL, I feel like things kind of calm down for about a month or so. Uh, I feel like for baseball writers, it's like right back to, okay, free agency is beginning after the, uh, the World Series. Obviously, it, it operates functionally pretty slowly, especially now, but like you go right back into what into what's next. Yeah, in a normal year, the GM meetings are like like the, the GM of the winning World Series team is at the GM meetings like five days after his parade, right? Like yes. it's, it's there's no real uh, it actually kind of sets back the teams that go deep uh, in their free agency preparation and offseason preparation. So it is a quick turnaround. Um, but then, like you said, once it starts, it goes, especially the last few years, or not last year, but the two years before last year, it goes super slow. Um, you know, and I, I kind of, uh, unfortunately, I expect it to be pretty slow this year because of the pandemic and, and all the revenue losses the teams are, are, are taking this year. If I was Jim Crane, one thing I would think about as far as this offseason is even if, if even if his team loses George Springer and Michael Brantley and everybody else, there's no realistic way for it to be any worse than last offseason. That would be pretty impossible at this point. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, I think that's a fair assessment. <laughs> I, so we want to do a couple things. Uh, we wanted to kind of look back on the season, preview the big decisions to be made. And we will also, towards the end, talk about Jeff Luno's interview on KPRC this week where he broke his uh, silence. So we'll get into some of that and our thoughts and our reactions stemming from that, which was uh, Monday night. For me, Jake, the single biggest thing that happened in 2020 was that Kyle Tucker developed into the kind of player that the Astros can comfortably put into one of the corner outfield spots in 2021 and not worry about it. This was certainly not the case uh, back in March where... You know, let's be honest, Kyle Tucker had been brought up a couple times, twice, and he looked like one of those guys who people start having the fears of, like, is this a is this a quadruple-A kind of player? Where if he's, you know, playing in minor league baseball, he's raking, but then there are some holes in his swing where he can't, he can't quite, uh, for whatever reason, hit consistently at the major league level. Over 228 plate appearances... Small sample size in 2020, but I, I thought that was the, the single biggest thing that happened for them in 2020. On the field, I assume you mean. <laughs> on the field, yes, on the field. Uh, yeah, in terms of like um, changing their future outlook, I, I agree. I think, um, I mean, it was really, even as, as recently as mid-August, there were questions. He was hovering around 600 with his OPS for the first few weeks of the regular season this year. 
and then really broke out from mid-August through September as their most consistent hitter. And yeah, I think they have to feel a lot more confident counting on him as a cornerstone than they did coming into the season. Even though it's only a small sample, just like the eye test tells you that he's for real. He's a legitimate, you know, fifth five-hole hitter. Um, he can play left field. He can play right field. He's he, you, especially in a, in a year where you're losing three outfielders to free agency potentially. Like, yep, that's a big deal. Um, just be able to like count on him to be like an, a legit middle of the lineup guy. Yeah, I think so too. They needed they needed somebody else with the the window and the ages of some of the guys on the roster that to have somebody who's 23 years old to break out the way Tucker did and he was, you know, solid in the postseason to be able to be able to plug him in at 24 years of age. Like that I just think that's something that they needed as far as their roster construction moving forward that they can lose some outfielders but comfortably plug him in and then figure out a way to you know, fill the other two outfield spots for 2021. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. Like, we didn't know before. Like, the last two years, it didn't look pretty, especially in the playoffs last year in 2019. Yes. So I had major questions about whether he he was going to become this guy. And, um, and again, like, it's still a small sample relatively. He had 228 plate appearances plus, what, 30 or something in the playoffs? Maybe more than that. But, um yeah, like I think just the eye test and how he looked, um, I think he's for real. Um, you could argue that Framber Valdez's development is just as big, if not bigger. Um, you could argue that, yes. I think uh, he looks like a legitimate dude. Um, whether that's a, a one or two or a three, I think remains to be seen. And, um, you know, the issue for him in the past was losing focus and letting innings unravel on him. Does that, you know... Did, did not having fans in the stands help him more than others? And, and is that still a little bit of a question when fans return? I'm not sure. But, um, you know, the, the way he pitched, especially in the playoffs on a big stage, would seem to bode well for him being at least like a, a number two or number three at worst. And, um, you know, given they lost Justin Verlander for next season, that's, that's also a huge development. Yeah, at this point, it's basically like Framber Valdez, and I would have never expected saying this back in February or March. He's essentially their ace, um, and and he pitched. He was their best pitcher from end to end in the regular season, and and he pitched really well in the playoffs, including twice uh, during the ALCS. There was not any sort of drop off once they got into the postseason. And I know he talked about his work with a sports psychologist as kind of a big deal for him. When you looked at the numbers and dug deep into them, Jake, what were some of the things that made Valdez so much more effective this year than the last couple of years? Well, the biggest one was he just threw a lot more strikes and, um, you know, he didn't walk guys as much. His usages were also a little different. He uh, he used to throw this four-seam fastball and a two-seam fastball uh we know the astros are a four-seam organization that they like to throw the four-seam fastballs especially up in the zone yep to get swings and misses and weak pop-ups but um valdez is one of like the rare sinker ballers in their system and his sinker is so good that they decided to tell him to stop throwing his four-seamer because it was getting whacked around and just focus on his two-seamer and i think he gained confidence commanding it as he threw it more and more and more and, and got rid of the four-seamer. Um, so he basically became like a two-and-a-half-pitch guy with the two-seamer and the curveball. And like some starts he would throw the changeup a lot. Some starts he would barely throw it or not throw it at all. So, um, But he, he's just like his, his movement on his fastball and his curveball are so good that he can get away with that. Yeah, I'm looking at some of his numbers on fan graphs. And like if I'm looking at this right, his XFIP was 294. Uh, his FIP was 285. So, I mean, everything, if you kind of like do an autopsy on a season, it, it all looks really, really good. And, and you mentioned about where you kind of slot him in. I don't know if, if Framber Valdez is truly an ace. I'd probably put him more into the 2-3 category right now. But with with sort of a wait-and-see approach that this is somebody, you know, they have under control through 2026, um, which is a long time. He's only 26 years old. And you're right, someone could make the argument that 
as important as the Tucker breakout for 2020 was, that you could make the argument that Valdez and the way he pitched was equally as important for the organization. Do you, what's your definition of ace? Do you think we overuse the word? Do you think every team, like, I don't think every team has an ace, right? Like, well, I agree. Yes. It, it's a rare, it's, it's, it's not, this is not one of those things where it's like, hey, listen, um, you know, this is our ace. No, I think ace is something, it, it's like one standard across Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. And just because someone is your number one starter does not mean that he is your ace. So for me, I have a pretty high standard, like a guy who you can rely on to pitch high innings counts. He's durable, and I'm comfortable starting that guy in game one. So across baseball, I'd say of the 30 teams, there might be like 10 to 17 of those guys off the top of my head. Right. Most of the opening day starters are not aces, so to speak. Correct. Like, And the Astros very well might have a rotation next year. Uh, full of twos and threes, which is not a, yeah. a bad thing, right? It worked for them this year, and totally agreed. Um, depth is, you know, really important. So I don't, yeah, I think they'd be in pretty good shape if, you know, even if they, and we'll talk about this a little bit when we get into our offseason discussion in a, in a minute. But um, twos, having four twos and threes is is certainly uh, more than most teams can claim. Yeah, I think so. So with twenty twenty, certainly Tucker and Valdez are. For, from Astros, an Astros standpoint, like the, the two of the biggest developments. And then I thought, and I can group these guys into more of a one category, but the development of, of the young pitchers was significant for them as well. I remember when you first mentioned and wrote about Christian Javier back in March, I was like, okay, interesting story. He's got these, this invisible. Then all of a sudden, you know, the first week of the season starts and he's he's starting against the Dodgers. Like that's kind of the way that, that 2020 went. And I thought he had a pretty good regular season and showed some stuff out of the bullpen in the playoffs. Jose Urquidy was able to come back successfully from COVID-19. We saw Blake Taylor pitch well in in the bullpen. Anoli Paredes. um, Andre Scrub did a decent job as well. So all of these rookies, the litany of them that contributed to Houston's team this season. Now, all of a sudden, they have that experience for next year. Now, mathematically, you know, some of these guys are going to regress, but at least heading into the offseason, this year was a really positive development. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, like, none of these guys are Forrest Whitley, right? Like, we yep. for as long as we talk about these prospects and the famous prospects, like, um, it's these kind of sleeper prospects who have emerged, Um you know, Whitley, uh, if we're going to mention all these positive developments, we should mention that Whitley didn't make the majors this year. Um, and um, Brian Abreu also went backwards, you know, so it wasn't all amazing for their pitcher development. But I think the fact yep. that they can, you know, uh, Christian Javier, you, you now know, Not I don't know if the Astros ever doubted this, but uh, his stuff will play at the major league level. That's, you know, knowing that his fastball and slider will play um, bodes well for next season and beyond. I think I think he's a major league starter. You know, whether he pitches in that role next year is TBD. Um, Jose Arquiti is definitely a major league starter. Um, Absolutely. Noli Paredes and Blake Taylor, both of whom had either never pitched in AAA or barely pitched in AAA before this year, look like bona fide major league relievers. So, um, you know, I, I guess obviously in the cumulative, they had more positive developments with their pitchers than negative. Um, and a lot of them are these kind of these guys we weren't talking about a ton, um, before the season. I mean, in spring training, I, I don't think I expected Anoli Paredes to be, you know, even like a factor this season, but the expanded roster and all the injuries with the, uh, 60 game season really you know gave him an opportunity and he showed what he has do you think heading into 2021 I know it's early to ask this question but that James Click might look at his bullpen and I, I know that the bullpen's an area where there are always a, a significant number of changes but I would think looking at it now assuming health that you know Ryan Presley's going to be back obviously and you know the, the I can't I don't know if Osuna's going to be back on this team, if they're going to tender him and what the deal is. So I could easily see a scenario where Ryan Presley's the closer going into 2021. If that's the case, I would assume, Jake, at this point, that Anoli, Predis, and Blake Taylor would be their main setup men heading into next season. 
Well, I think they'll acquire at least one reliever. Um, they definitely will, yes. Yeah, yes. but let's let's map it out a little bit. So I think, let's say they non-tender Osuna uh, because he's injured and going to make more than $10 million. Uh, you have Presley, Joe Smith. Brooks Raley has a $2 million club option that I think you pick up. Um, Makes sense. Anoli Paredes. Blake Taylor, that's five. Josh James makes six. I think the starting experiment with him should probably be over. Um, who else are we missing? Andre Scrub and Cy Snead are probably more depth guys, right? Um, so yeah, I think with, I think Scrub has some potential, but for me, it's kind of like okay, can he can he work on his control and get it to a level where they're comfortable at with? Yeah, I don't know if it's sustainable what he did this year. Um, but yeah, I think if you add one or two guys into that mix, uh, maybe 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 you add like an innings eating innings eater start, fifth starter that pushes Christian Javier to the bullpen, you know, um, as a swing man. They're in decent shape. I mean, they're not in great shape. I think, so. I think that if they get like a big time high leverage guy who's experienced to add to this group, that would be a big deal. And there are a lot of free agent relievers available with experience, so they should be able to do that. But um, you know, it's not as dire as you might have thought in August, right? Exactly, yes. I, I think this year was significant for what the bullpen is going to look like next season. And another guy, and I don't know that, that his like ultimate ETA is going to be 2021 uh, because it might be more of a 2022, but we saw a couple of nice outings from Luis Garcia who started <laughs> even in a sort of an opener kind of role, a, 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 bull, a bullpen game in the ALCS. But I think Luis Garcia is one of these guys who you look at and you're like, all right, this guy's 23-24, and he showed you this year that there's something there with his changeup and his approach and just the ability to pitch pretty well on a team that was contending for a pennant. Yeah, I mean, he's he's now in their 40-minute roster, and, you know, he's kind of going to come into next season, I think, as one of their depth guys. You know, we'll see what the state of the minor leagues is, right? Like, I think in a perfect world, he would be like the AAA third starter, right, who's just kind of waiting for his chance, but we have no idea what minor league baseball is going to look like next year, so... Uh, yeah, that's a big that's a big open question yeah, about that. So at this point I think we just refer to him as like starting depth. Yes. I think that makes sense. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/creditcard. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let, let's get to some of the some some of the money stuff for the offseason, the future, because this team has a lot of big decisions to make. Jake, what do they do about George Springer and Michael Brantley? What is your sense right now? It seemed to me on Monday that James Click was laying the groundwork mentally for Astros fans that hey, uh, fully expect that the offseason is going to be different, and I'm just going to prime your mind for George Springer and Michael Brantley not being here next season. Yeah, I I mean, I think we've covered this, my thoughts on this previously in the podcast. I think whenever these guys hit for agency that, you know, they're more than likely going to sign with one of the other 30 teams. Um, but yeah, I, there doesn't seem to be a ton of optimism there. I think Brantley has got a better chance at being re-signed by the Astros than Springer does just because Brantley, at, you know, let's say Brantley gets a two-year deal and Springer gets a four-year deal, um, there's a lot. That's a huge difference, obviously. So, um, you know, I wouldn't expect, so to speak, that either of them resign, but I, I think there's better odds that Brantley does than Springer does. Yeah, that makes sense, because even in a pandemic baseball economy, Springer's going to be someone who makes a lot of money, just because I think a lot of these teams, especially in the Northeast where he's from, there are enough teams there that 
need to start winning games and they can that would be a big splash for a lot of those teams to bring in somebody like that and I I just think he's going to get paid by one of those teams and I, I think it does even though he's been to me the heart and soul of the Astros for the last five years last six years from a cold rational calculating standpoint you know when someone hit, hits free agency at the age of 31, as opposed to, let's say, someone like Carlos Correa next year at the age of 26, 27, the, 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 the aging curve on players would indicate that the Astros are the organization who will have gotten by far the most out of George Springer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this team doesn't really build its roster through free agency, and that's there's a reason for that, right? It's... There's a, re- yep. there's a reason that the biggest contract in Jim Crane's ownership tenure from a free agent standpoint is still Josh Reddick's four-year $52 million. Um, You know, obviously they spent more on that, more than that on a few extensions, but, you know, that, that wasn't, those players who they extended weren't available to all 30 teams driving up the price, right? They were pre-free agency with Altuve, Verlander, and Bregman. Um, so, yeah, I, I just... Don't think the Astros, with their model, are going to pay a 31-year-old um, outfielder, um, you know, the biggest contract he's going to get. And it would probably, you know, I don't know if it would be the biggest contract in Astros history given the pandemic economy, but it would be up there. Um, you know, and Brant- Brantley, um, I'm really, I don't really know what his, like, I think he benefits by the expectation that there's going to be a universal DH to stay because... An- yeah, I think that I think that's a huge deal for him because while it doesn't definitively double his market, I think it helps along those lines. Yeah, but it also, like, in a way, like, it's, it's tough, a tough fit for the Astros in this respect that if he's hurt, they can't plug him at DH with Jordan Alvarez back. Like, they're kind of mm-hmm. in a tough spot with... You can't have two guys who can't play the field, um, so like I, I, it's a risk. It would be a risk for the Astros too. Obviously, he's an amazing hitter and, um, you know, has been a huge part of their lineup. But I think if you look at it, like it is risky. He's thirty four. He's a big injury history, and um, he, you know, he's he's probably going to do relatively well for himself despite all that. So I would think so. I, I just think like roster, like roster management wise and flexibility wise. And like, you know, I, I don't know if I really see him back either. Yeah, I, I bet against both guys. I, I think Springer because of who he is and the fact that he's going to be one of the marquee free agents in the market. Brantley, because someone's going to look at them, look at him the way he's contributed the last couple of years and a contender is going to look and say, okay, we can plug him into our outfield uh, or our DH spot for the next two, three years. Let's do that. And the, the price tag is going to be a little bit too rich for Houston. I mean, maybe uh, Brantley to me is one of those guys who like, if the market craters this off season, then maybe you can, then maybe you can bring them back. If the money is realistic. I, I just, I always think the smart money here, even though it's boring to say is that once these guys hit free agency, they probably leave. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. Yeah. And if you think about it like this, just like take a step back and look at the offense, the Astros will bring back relative to the offense. Other teams will bring back, um, you know, like the Astros have a bona fide top six coming back in Altuve, Bregman, Correa, Alvarez, Gurriel, Tucker. Um, Do most teams have four hitters that good? Probably not. And so, and 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 especially if 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 Yuli gets back to you know being alive at the plate like that, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with the premise. And so, like other teams are going to have more incentive to buy offense than the Astros are. That makes sense to me. Do you? Let me ask you this: Do you think there's been any negotiations for the last, let's say? year or six months or three months with Springer and or Brantley? Yeah, probably. Uh, I don't know that, but, you know, I think logically you could guess that they have at least discussed something. Um, I think so, too, just because they re-signed Yuli, granted to, to a short one-year contract, but you imagine if they're if they're talking with Yuli Gurriel's people, then they must be at least talking to some extent or have talked with Springer's agent and Brantley's agent as well. Yeah, I mean, even if it's like a one-minute conversation, like... Exactly. Yeah, like, we don't hear about most of the stuff, right? Like, in the deals that don't happen, you never hear, you, you rarely hear about, so... 
Yeah, I, w- yes. I would guess that there's there's been talks, but obviously it didn't lead to anything, and, and Springer's going to be a free agent. Um, he will have a qualifying offer attached to him, um, which will, you know, which will actually, like, there's a chance that, I was thinking about this the other day, Marcelo Zuna is also a free agent. Um, and yes, he is. He had an amazing season for the Braves, and he had a qualifying offer last year by the Cardinals, so he can't get another one. And he's a year younger than Springer. Like, there's a chance he does better than Springer just because of those market factors. Oh, yeah. And, he, yeah, he had a great year this year. Um, okay, so qualifying offers. Uh, you and I talked off the air ab- about this. I, I had kind of assumed in my mind that the Astros would give the qualifying offers to George Springer and Michael Brantley. Uh, that will be the case with Springer for, for obvious reasons. I get the sense, Jake, that you don't think that they'll give a qualifying offer to Michael Brantley. Yeah, I'm not sure. I definitely don't think it's a slam dunk. And I, if you're asking me to predict, I would I would lean no. Um, because he's 34, he's he's been hurt a lot in his career. Um, and the qualifying offer is, I think it's $18.7 million this year. Um, if he were to accept it, you know, one year, $18.7 million, seems to be way above his market. And especially when you consider the pandemic economy. Like I, I don't think um, just reading like the comment sections on my story and people re- responding to me on Twitter when I tweet out the stories about free agency. Like I, I don't think people are adjusting for the pandemic economy as much as they're going to. Um, and it makes it hard, all of this stuff hard to predict, but you know, these teams just lost a full year of, of fans in the stands and um I think that's going to be a big factor in, in for every team in the off season. And, you know, I, I 19, one year, 19 million is in a, in the past might've been more tenable than it is going forward. Yeah, that makes sense. Just for reference sake, Michael Brantley made 16 million in each of the last two seasons. So do you think on the open market, he's going to make less than 16, a little above 16 based on your thoughts on the qualifying offer? Yeah, I think he gets like two years, 26 with like okay maybe so less maybe like an an option for a third year or maybe incentives that get him higher than that for for the two guaranteed years you know i think i can see that i think teams could get creative with him in the contract terms um you know but there's like there's a lot of contenders that could you know be vying for him especially if it's a short-term deal one thing I'd love to know, and I don't think we ever will, is what the insurance situation is on Verlander's deal, because that's a lot of money for 2021 that the Astros are not going to have on the field, uh, but they're not going to tell us what the deal is with that. Yeah, there's a chance we'll find out. Uh, we just haven't yet. Um, hopefully we will, but... Uh, I like your optimism. <laughs> I, I, I can roll I, with that. I also I like, like I don't think it's like going to be a huge uh, difference maker in terms of like willingness to spend. Like I think relative to the money they lost from not having fans in the stands all year, it's like it, it pales in comparison, right? Of course. Um, so I think that's the big, much bigger deal than any, any of like, you know, if they have some insurance on Verlander's contract, but either way, it still counts against the luxury tax threshold. And, you know, in terms of budgeting, we don't know exactly how much of a budget Jim Crane's going to give the front office. Um, you know, I assume they'll go under the luxury tax because they went over it this year, but it's like a question of how much. Okay, so let's let's play this out. Astros lose Springer, they lose Brantley, they walk away in free agency. Kyle Tucker will be in one of the outfield spots. How do they? How do they organize the outfield for 2021? Can they survive with Miles Straw in center field for a full season? What do they do? Um, it, there's a lot of different ways they could go. And, you know, there's probably names that aren't on any of our radars that they're going to target in either free agency or trades. I mean, think about this. Um, and it's, it's oversimplifying it to assign James Click credit for any, any, like everything the Rays did because he was one of many in their front office. But, um, look at the Rays outfield this year, right? It's, it's Kevin Kiermaier who has been there forever and, three trade acquisitions who you didn't really know much about that they acquired for, you know, probably guys who were prospects that, that you got them on the cheap, relatively speaking, uh, in Randy Rosarina, Hunter Renfro, Manny Margot. 
Um, yep. Like the Rays are really good at finding like kind of like what the Astros are with pitchers, right? And the Rays are good at that with pitchers too, but just finding like the untapped potential and turning them into something. So there could be guys like that that the Astros target, um, you know, from other teams and trades. Uh, as far as free agency goes, um, I think Jackie Bradley Jr. is a good fit for the Astros to consider. He's oh yeah, he's the same age as Springer, so a little on the older side for free agents, but he's not going to get nearly as much money as Springer or years. Um, he can play an elite center field. In a way, he could kind of be the Astros' Kiermaier, right? Like bat in the bottom third from the left side. You know, but have some pop. Have some pop in certain situations here and there. Uh, maybe there's room for more offense with a, a change of scenery. You know, never you never know how change in in team will. You know, you could get more out of a guy, and he'll play elite center field, which I think they need an elite center fielder with Kyle Tucker in one of the corners because he's not a great fielder. Um, yes, he's okay, but he's not anything special out there. So he's one guy to keep an eye on. Um, you know, and then you know, there's there's a Jake Marisnik. Uh, well, there's Robbie yeah, Robbie I'm, Grossman. There's a lot of ex Astros out there if you, if you want, if you're interested in reunions. Yeah, Grossman's interesting. Uh, you know, I know some people. That obviously, Jake Marisnik was was a fan favorite here. He's a great fielder, can't hit. Um, the Bradley Jr. thing would be interesting if you can get him on a relatively affordable deal because that's a guy who has played in a lot of big games. He is excellent defensively and, and gives you enough to where you feel like you're not giving up with him at the at the the towards the bottom of the lineup. That would intrigue me. Some of the age of these guys is really depressing me looking at the free agent market. I'm looking at it and it's like... Uh, what's that? Like Jared Dyson's like 36, and I'm like, what? What the hell's happening with time? Like this is <laughs> this is really deeply troubling to me. What what is going on here? Yeah, I mean, like all the prime free agents are like 30, 31, and it's just like yes. it's the age of manipulating service time, right? And make, like Spring mm-hmm. should have been a free agent last year. Um, yep. So yeah, I mean, there's some other names out there. Um, Jock Peterson. So uh, l- Kike Hernandez. Let, let me do this. I, I, yeah, yeah. I imagine they're probably not in the Jock Peterson like category right now from an Astros standpoint. L- let me ask you this though: so looking at this outfield, if the Astros lose Springer and Brantley, we know Tucker's is in one of those spots. Do you think they will need to sign somebody or bring somebody in? Because I think the answer is yes. I think they only need to import somebody from the outside to fill out the three-man outfield. I don't think they can just go internal and have have purely internal replacements for two different outfield spots. Yeah, I think they'll acquire one outfielder. I don't think they'll acquire two. Um, okay. But, you know, they do have a little bit of flexibility. You could play a Ledmus Diaz in left here and there. Do you, you know, the big question will be, does Jordan Alvarez, now that he's had surgery, can he play a little bit more left field? Um, you know, Chaz McCormick could be something in one of the corners or a backup center fielder. Um, so the, they have some, like Taylor Jones can play a little left field. Like they, they have some roster, some guys who can move around a little bit, which could help them also. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, I'm not counting on any of those possibilities as like an everyday thing, but yeah, it's nice to know that they have at least, you know, a few options if they need to. Starting rotation. Um, Granky in some order. Granky, Valdez, McCullers, Urquidy, and I think Javier. Um, basically, the way I look at the starting rotation is I think it's a it's a relatively strong one, and it looks like a situation where uh, the Astros, I think, are in a spot where it's more you know twos and, and threes than than an ace, as we were discussing earlier. My thing would be between. Urquidy, Javier, and Granky, they're going to need more than five starters next season. And that's what I'm curious about what they do as far as what other options they provide themselves for next season. Yeah, I think if you can go find like an innings eater, fifth starter type, um, to just like limit Urquidy or Javier's innings early, I think that would help. Um, and I just I don't know what to expect from Granky next season in in a good or bad way. I just have no idea what it's going to look like. I mean, this season he was their ace for the first month. Then he wasn't very good, uh, and you know the the playoffs were were sort of up and down. But he bailed them out in Game Four of the ALCS. So I think 
in the biggest of moments, Greinke's still a guy they can count on, but I don't think he's throwing like 200 innings next season. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he's so hard to predict uh, or to read. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, all of these guys, you don't exactly know what you're going to get, but, um, you know, if you can come into the season with like eight or nine guys, you know, let's not forget uh, Austin Pruitt could be back. Uh, as a depth starter, Luis Garcia is depth. Um, you know, maybe Brandon Belak figures out what went wrong because he started out really strong as a depth starter. Um, you know, maybe Forrest Whitley finally makes it next year. Um, there's some other prospects that aren't too far away either. Like, I, I think they're in pretty good shape on the starting pitching side. Yeah, I think um, so. You know, I think if they focus on bullpen additions in particular – um, you know, which it's a strong bullpen market. They could come back with a stronger pitching staff than they had this year, even though they lose lost Verlander. Um, you know that they, they just need um, they they need like more like a a reliable shutdown guy somewhere in the bullpen. I think. Yeah. So the the more we talk about, the more like you look at their bullpen and you feel like they can use that, like what Andrew Miller was a couple of years ago. I mean, everybody can use that kind of guy, but that seems to be the missing piece in the bullpen is that, you know, the, the Ryan Presley was okay this season, certainly not up to his standard. So maybe he gets better in 2021, but ideally he's a setup guy, not a closer. And there's a lot of potential and ability with Taylor and Paredes, but you're, you're missing an extra guy. And as you mentioned, if you had that extra high leverage guy, then all of a sudden, you know, you slot everybody down and the bullpen all of a sudden looks, you know, pretty formidable. Yeah, I mean, I'll read a few of the names available just so people know. Um, Liam Hendricks, who Astros fans are familiar with from the A's. Alex Colomay yep. from the White Sox. Um, Blake Trinan, former A's on the Dodgers now. Um, Petit and Soria from the A's are both free agents. Trevor uh, Trevor Rosenthal, who was in the, we talked about a little bit before the trade deadline. Um, Aaron Loop, who we just saw in the World Series last night and yep. in the ALCS. There's really like, I have a list of like 20, 25 guys here that could make the Astros bullpen better. Um, so it's a deep, deep free agent. And there's going to be even more with non-tenders that I think they'll be able to build a pretty solid bullpen if they're willing to spend a little bit of money. I think so too. And my big question on, on, this, on this front is essentially how good of a GM is James Click? And with Jeff Luno, who we'll get to in a moment or two here, I knew that Jeff, whatever you want to say about him, is really good at his job. And so I always felt like the process made sense and he was able to find guys. I mean, he made the Blake Taylor trade last season before he got fired. Uh, with James Click, even though I like his resume a lot, I just don't know how good he's going to be in this role, like what his strengths and weaknesses are. And this is going to be our first real chance to see what he's like in this role as GM. I know we saw him, you know, the trade deadline not do not do too much, but this will be really his first genuine test. Yeah, I mean, so far we haven't really gotten to see much because he got hired, what, February 3rd? So, um yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. I think that's like we're going to learn a lot about him this offseason. Like I said, he was he was high up in the Rays front office, but he was one of several people who were in that kind of, you know, top line inner circle under the GM there. Um, so he, he's never done this job before in the offseason. So it'll be really interesting to see how he approaches it. Obviously, like his front office around him is pretty much the same that Luno had. So I do think it will feel similar to to how it was in the past um but yeah i think that's maybe the, maybe the biggest thing we'll learn this offseason is is what kind of gm james click is going to be and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free you see this a family watching baseball on direct tv with no satellite dish in sight let's heckle them you call that changing the channel choke up on the remote buddy i hope getting all these games on direct tv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds direct tv has the most mlb games visit directtv.com claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher availability of rsn's varies by zip code and package high-speed internet service required terms and restrictions apply Let's finish up by talking about Jeff Luno's interview on uh, KPRC on Monday. We'll play a couple clips here. 
Uh, it was about a 37-minute interview. I watched the whole thing that they put on TV, which they condensed, and then Me too. went through the, th- the 37 minutes. Uh, it, was, it was interesting. Uh, let's take a listen to Jeff Luno, who insists that he did not know about the sign-stealing operation in 2017. If I go through all of my behavior, all of my actions, um, they're consistent with someone that tells the truth, and they're also consistent mm-hmm. with someone that didn't know. Um, I did a lot to try and prevent us from uh, doing anything wrong. Um, After the Red Sox and the Yankees were punished in 2017, uh, I had a conversation with our manager and I asked him if anybody in our dugout was using Fitbits or Apple Watches or anything that would be remotely considered against the rules. Um, He told me that someone, one of our coaches had been using an Apple Watch, but after the uh, incident with the Red Sox had stopped wearing it because clearly we weren't supposed to be doing that. Um, he did not tell me anything else about trash can banging or any impropriety. Um, I followed up with two other people in the baseball operations area, one on the medical side and one of the people that works for me, and uh, made sure that they knew the rules and made sure that, that we were uh, following the rules. Um, in the general manager's meetings after the World Series, after we won, which was only a week after we had our parade, um, I argued for and voted for MLB to enforce the sign-stealing rules by putting a monitor in the in the clubhouses the next year. Mm-hmm. And they did. I'm not sure if you if you were aware of this, Jake, but this is really new information for me on Monday. I, I was not aware heading into this week that actually I was of the completely wrong belief system. And my belief system actually should have been that Jeff Luno was at the vanguard of trying to stop sign stealing in baseball. Like this was really groundbreaking information that I learned on Monday from Jeff Luno himself. <laughs> <laughs> he was at the forefront of this. He wanted this rooted out of Major League Baseball. That is what I learned. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. Um, first of all, like, good get by KPRC to get Jeff Luno on the record. I only, you know, the only on-the-record interviews I've seen so far are, are this one, and he did talk to Ben Ryder for Ben Ryder's podcast series that is coming out, uh, or started to come out already. Um but I don't think we learned a ton in this interview. Um, I And I don't know if, you know, Luno's main theme seemed to be trying to stress the fact that he didn't know about the trash can system, right? Yeah. And, and that's, that doesn't, that's what I wasn't really, yeah. That doesn't really matter. Um, you know, if you go back and read the report and read about why he was suspended and fired it wasn't for knowing or not knowing it was because he was the general manager of the team and as the gm of the team who hired all of these people um he is supposed to be accountable and when rob manfred drew his line in the sand in september 2017 about sign stealing when he punished the red sox for the apple watch incident he said i'm gonna hold the managers and gms accountable and if you read the Astros report from January 13th by Rob Manfred, he has several sentences that say this sort of thing, but here's one, quote, irrespective of Luna's knowledge of his club's violations of the rules, I will hold him personally accountable for the conduct of his club. And that's really what it boils down to. I agree. My One of my bigger takeaways watching on Monday was that Jeff would have been a poor fit in the Harry Truman administration, the former president who said the buck stops here. The buck did not stop with Jeff Luno, I suppose. Uh, that, that to me is how I would have taken it uh, if I was interviewing Jeff. At some point, I would have been like, listen, I, I understand all these things you're telling me, but like the memo baseball sent out in the middle of uh, September 2017 was very clear that if there are continued r- rules violations with the electronic sign stealing, it'll come down to two people the manager and the general manager. This is not a court of law, as Jeff mentioned. This is not like, hey, you're being, your freedom is being taken away by the state uh, and they need to prove something or everything by, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. Like, this is Major League Baseball. Like, this is their playhouse. They're going to do it however they want. And ultimately, your job was the general manager. And so you were responsible for every employee, including the players in baseball operations. And even if you didn't know about something, well, it's your culture, it's your organization, you're in charge of baseball ops, and thus it's going to come back on you because this is the way Major League Baseball is going to do it, whether fairly or unfairly. Yeah, and that's kind of what accountability is, right? Like, you're the, you're yes. the leader, you get paid handsomely to be the GM of a Major League Baseball team, you, you get to be the face of the team, you know, when, when it wins the World Series, 
um, you have to face the music on this stuff, whether you knew or not. Uh, and not knowing, you know, if anything, it shows kind of the lack of institutional control to steal like an NCAA phrase, right? Exactly. I totally agree. Yes, it shows a lack of institutional control if you're sitting up there and telling me, well, it's this it's this coach and it's that coach and it's text messages. Uh, one more uh, from Luno. <laughs> this really annoyed me. Uh, this was Luno. Uh, I give credit to Vanessa Richardson, who did the interview for asking Jeff about the Brandon Taubman incidents. And here's what Jeff had to say when he was asked to reflect on that. I was so disappointed that that happened. That should never have happened, first of all. Uh, but I was actually more disappointed in how the Astros reacted to that. Um, the night that the organization found out that this was going to be a story, um, there were several people actively conversing about what to do about it. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, you probably know this as a reporter, but as a general manager, I don't write press releases. I see them before they go out if they have to do with baseball operations and I'll approve a quote if it's supposedly my words, but even my quotes are written by someone else. Um, this particular response was uh, crafted, edited, uh, and written by the person that runs the legal operation for the Astros and the person that runs the marketing and PR for the Astros. Those two wrote it, edited it, and sent it out. Now they did syndicate it. When I say syndicate it, there were other people copied on the email traffic that evening. Nobody, nobody said, don't send this out. I should have said that. And I feel bad that I didn't because my gut was telling me this was probably not the right reaction. Uh, I'm just gonna say it. Uh, this is the part of the interview where I was not buying what Jeff was selling. I, I will just leave it at that. I What we just heard, like I, I just don't believe it. I'm, I'm sorry, I do not. If you're the GM of the team, I do not believe. Brandon Tobin's his guy. Look at Jeff's resume and look at Tobin's resume. Like, Jeff Luno hired Brandon Tobin. That was his dude. Like, that was his guy. You're ultimately responsible. I don't believe any of the other stuff to cast blame on, you know, legal and marketing and all that kind of stuff. I, I just, I did not believe that answer. Well, he admits in that answer that he could have said something, right? And he didn't. Yes. So, again, accountability, responsibility. Those are important things for, for leaders of of teams. Um, you know, we did know this already. Evan Drellick uh, at the Athletic reported October 25th, almost a year ago today, uh, 2019, um, in a story about the Astros culture issues, that the statement uh, was overseen by Anita Siegel, who's the team's senior vice president of marketing communications. And he also wrote in that story that one person that typically a statement of that caliber would include uh, is Astros general counsel Giles Kibbe. So, uh, we yep. knew these things, um, but yeah, I, I think it's convenient for Luno after the fact to kind of uh, not accept any blame for it. Here's my last point on this, and then we'll wrap up. Um, I don't know what this interview really did for Jeff Luno. I mean, I, I can be objective and fair about things. I, I, I found the interview to be pretty self-serving from his standpoint, but I also think that Jeff is, I believe he is the best sports executive in the history of Houston sports. I think he is that good at his job. And if I were somebody else, whether in baseball or in an, another sport, I'd hire him. I think he is that good at what he does. Um, I th I'd try to work with him on developing a better culture, um, and maybe he could make advancements on that front, maybe. Um, but I just didn't know what the interview did for him as far as, like, if he wants to work in baseball again. I, I just think people are going to look at this and say, well, He's just saying basically that he's getting scapegoated and it doesn't sound like someone who has learned anything or learned much or is contrite at all about what happened to him. I agree. And also didn't he didn't make it sound like he's super interested in getting back into baseball with his his answer about that, right? Um yep. so I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him in baseball again. But uh yeah, I mean it was um kind of like you said, he kind of just talked for 35 minutes, right? Like there wasn't uh he wasn't challenged a ton on on the things that, um, you know, like the, the culture of the Astros and yes, why the fact that he didn't know even matters, you know, like he spent so much time saying, I didn't know, why is it on me, blah, blah, blah. But like, again, that's not why you were suspended. That's not why you were fired. You know, you're the GM. Shouldn't you be accountable for the actions of your team? 
That's a very good point. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. And the, the answer that Jake was referring to about uh, what Jeff is going to do, he mentioned uh, that he's talked with uh, or he's been interested in the NFL. What was it like MLS? Esports, um, he mentioned. Esports. Uh, yeah. NBA. Apparently he can do NBA. whatever he wants. But I, I mean, like. I mean, honestly, like you look at his resume, I think he probably could do whatever he wants. Like he's uh, he's clearly a really smart guy. He's worked in multiple industries and done well in them. So I, I, I don't I definitely don't doubt that part of it. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking to hire him, though, you have to have a major questions about the leadership ability. Exactly. Right. Yes. But um, no doubt. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what he does next. Um, you know, it was interesting to, to hear from him. It's been a while. Um, you know, and so, yeah, I, I, uh, I was expecting to learn a little bit more than we did though. I, I really like the more I watched it and listened to the transcript, that's like, fair. I don't think we learned a ton of new information and that that's one reason I didn't, uh, you know, there were some people pushing for us to do an emergency podcast off this and, um, you know, I, I don't know if it really warranted one, which is why we didn't do one. Yeah. Yeah, there were not many new revelations in that that we were not uh, aware of before. All right, so that'll do it for this episode of the Crawford Talks. Again, as I mentioned off the top, uh, over the course of the offseason, we will do episodes whenever news happens. So let's say the Astros lose George Springer or re-sign him. What happens with Michael Brantley? Or if they make some kind of acquisition, uh, then we will be on that and put out episodes uh, as they come. So thank you guys for uh, tuning in. Uh, This has been a weird situation this season where, like, I look back and uh, we were we've been like an epidemiology podcast. We were like a labor relations podcast for a month, and then finally we got baseball games. And somehow, some way, uh, we made it through this season, which I know uh, I am definitely grateful for. So for Jay Kaplan, make sure you st- uh, stay tuned throughout the off season. He is Jay Kaplan. Make sure you check out his work on the Athletic because it's not like the work stops now. Jake is on it, and as we head into the off season, there are a lot of storylines happening. He is Jay Kaplan. I'm Mike Meltzer. This has been the latest episode of the Crawford Talks an Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.